Scripture reading will be from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. After living in a foreign country for a couple of years, I was at the dentist for the first time in quite a while. And the dentist said, if you don't make some serious changes, you're in danger of losing some of your teeth. I didn't feel bad. Nothing I thought was going on in my, in my mouth indicated that I had a problem. But the dentist said, you've got a condition that's developed and you're going to have to make some drastic changes if you want to keep all of your teeth. Well, that really woke me up. I made some drastic changes. Some of you have been to the doctor and the doctor has said something similar. Maybe you don't feel bad, but the doctor looks at you and examines you and says, there's a serious problem. And if you don't make some major changes, you may lose your life. It's serious when a dentist or a doctor says something like that to us, but it's even more serious when God says something like that to us. If you don't make major changes, your soul is in jeopardy. Challenging the comfortable. Everybody I've observed kind of seeks comfort in their lives. We feel like if we're uncomfortable, something must be wrong. If something is uncomfortable in my life, I want it fixed so that I can be comfortable once again. The guy in the recliner right there on the screen behind me, that's what I typically look like on Saturday afternoons while I'm watching football. I want to be comfortable. And a lot of us, if we think about our lives, that's what we're after. And we can kind of get into a rut, into a routine. And if comfort is what we want, if that's what's most precious to us, then that's what we'll seek. And most of the time, that's what we'll find, especially in this society. But what if God is not so much interested in our comfort as he is in our character? I believe that's a Bible principle worth writing down. God is not as interested in your comfort as he is in your character He's not as interested in your happiness in the immediate sense as he is in your heart belonging fully and completely to him. God desires for us to be challenged. Someone has well described the task of preaching as afflicting the comfortable and comforting the afflicted. Afflicting the comfortable and comforting the afflicted. The word of God has hope for those who are afflicted. It has comfort for those who are hurting. But it also is intended to stir us up and to get us to think about the changes that God really desires in our lives. What is stopping you 
right now today from changing to the glory of God? What is it in your life that you're holding on to that you're not letting go of that God wants to change? If you don't make some serious changes, your soul is in jeopardy. There were people in the Bible that had this attitude of, I want to be comfortable. You remember in Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16, Jesus wrote to the church at Laodicea, and he said to them, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were one or the other, but because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Those people thought, nothing's wrong. We're comfortable. We're rich. We're wealthy. We have all kinds of comforts and luxuries. God must love us. Jesus says, I wish you were one or the other, but lukewarmness is distasteful, repulsive to me. In the days of Jeremiah the prophet, the people, they spoke falsely about the Lord. They said, he will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. Nothing bad is going to happen. After all, it's been all these decades, all these centuries People have been living like this and nothing bad has happened. If you don't make serious changes, you're going to die. In Jeremiah 8 verse 11, the prophet said, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, crying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. There are a lot of gospel preachers who need to take seriously the warnings that are found in Scripture because God doesn't just want us as preachers to comfort the afflicted. God wants us as preachers to afflict the comfortable. And it's wrong for us to preach a message that is only and always about peace and safety and comfort, even though those things are available in the blessings that are in Christ. Sometimes God wants us to hear the message, unless you make some drastic changes, you're going to die. Unless you make some drastic changes, you're going to lose your soul, challenging the comfortable. There are some things that we must hold on to as the people of God. As human beings, there are some things that do not change. As rapidly as everything around us seems to be changing, as rapidly as society seems to be changing, some things don't. God does not change. Malachi 3 verse 6, I am the Lord, I do not change. You can find in him a solid foundation, a firm anchor, a place to park and to stay because he does not change. He is a solid place. Not only does God not change, but his word does not change. The word of God lives and abides forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Matthew 24, verse 35. Therefore, we must be careful not to add to what the word teaches or take away from what the word teaches. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. And not only does God's word not change, but his kingdom is unchanging. His kingdom is a solid foundation. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19. That's why the Lord could say, your mission in life is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6, verse 33. In a world that changes... When we're seeking our comfort and we're seeking our safety and our convenience, when that's what our lives become about, we need to go back to Scripture and think about what doesn't change and ask the question, Master, is it I? Is God looking at me this morning? Is he looking at you this morning and saying, unless you make some drastic changes, 
your soul is in serious jeopardy. Challenging the comfortable. I'd like for us to do this with our lesson this morning. First of all, I'd like us to think about the reminder from God's word that we're to change, to grow, to mature, to not stay in one fixed place, but to continue in our journey with the Lord. If you have your Bible and you haven't already done so, open up to Philippians 3 and look at verses 12 through 16. Philippians 3 verses 12 through 16. The apostle Paul writes these words to his brethren. And if ever there were somebody who could say, I have done a lot for the Lord, it's Paul. If ever there was somebody who could say, I'm living an exemplary Christian life, it's Paul. But listen to what he says in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already attained, he says, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I'm not sitting still as a Christian. I'm not gonna get comfortable as a Christian. I'm not gonna be lazy as a Christian. I am going to serve and I'm going to bless and I'm going to repent when needed so that I can be more and more used by God. Notice in this passage, there is a dissatisfaction that Paul describes in his life. And I believe if we're Christians, there needs to be a holy dissatisfaction in our lives as well. I have not yet attained, he says. It's a holy dissatisfaction. Jesus is enough. Jesus has saved us from our sins. We are secure in him. But the other side of that equation, that coin, is to say, I can grow and I can mature and I can be more holy and I can be more pleasing to God in the way that I'm living. I've not yet attained. And not only is there a dissatisfaction, but there's a devotion. Many people in our lives, if we had to sum up our week, we'd say, I did a hundred things this week. Paul would say, one thing I do. And if everything I'm involved in doesn't boil down to that one thing, then it's something that I'm going to put away out of my life. I'm about one thing. I want to press on. I want to glorify God. I want to pursue that high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's a devotion there. There's a a direction involved as well. He just got through describing all the great things that he had done before he became a Christian. In Philippians 3 verses 2 through 10, he describes how he used to be when he was a Jew. He describes the the noteworthy accomplishments and the great things that he did, and he thought he was doing them for the Lord. He says, forgetting those things that are behind, I press on. Many of you have done great work for the Lord. You've been involved in his service for years. We thank God for you. We thank God for those that are new Christians that are finding ways in which they can serve and please Jesus Christ. We thank God for you and for what you've done. But there is a place and a time for us as Christians to forget what's behind and to press on to the new challenges and the new directions and the new work to be done in Christ Jesus. Because God does not want us to become comfortable. God does not want us to become at ease in our relationship with him. 
Not only that, but there is a determination that Paul has. It's a discipline, if you will. I press on. If you ask the Apostle Paul about his devotional life, Paul, what do you think about when you're praying to the Lord? What do, you, what do you think through as you're thinking about your relationship with God? Paul would say, one of the things I think about is what Jesus has done for me and how Jesus has saved me from my sin and how I'm enough, I'm complete in him, Colossians 2, 9 and 10. But the other thing I think about, Paul would say, is my need to grow my need to press on about the fact that even though I've come so far because of the Lord and because of his grace and mercy, there is so much more still that can be done and so much more the Lord wants to change about me. There's a reminder in God's word, brothers and sisters, God does not want you and me to stay the way we are today. Living things by their very nature grow If a tree stops growing, if it's not getting any bigger, if the leaves turn brown and wither, we seriously think about cutting it down, don't we? Think that tree's dead, I'm gonna wait a little while and see what happens, but it doesn't seem to be growing anymore. What about when a Christian stops growing? What about when we become complacent? We get into a rut. The Apostle Paul reminds us to grow. There are some enemies though And they are many because the one person who doesn't want you to grow and the one person who doesn't want you to change and the one person who would be very happy if you were comfortable is the devil himself. And he throws up roadblocks in many different ways. Enemies of change. What is it that keeps people from changing in ways that honor God? A lack of accountability for one. A lack of accountability. We are, as the Lord's church, to be accountable to one another. We are, as God's people, to be accountable to an eldership that oversees and watches for our souls, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. But there are places in our lives, all of us, because of the society we live in, there are places in our lives that are private, that no one sees. And because no one sees, we feel like, I don't need to change. Nobody sees. And we tell ourselves lies like the things that I'm doing in private, the things that nobody sees, those don't hurt anybody. I know about them and yeah, I know God wants me to change, but nobody else sees. Numbers 32 verse 23 reminds us that our sin will find us out. There is coming a day when sin will be exposed, whether in this life or in the next, your sin will find you out. Be careful in your life about building areas of your life where you're not accountable to somebody, where people can't see. It's dangerous. Seeking the approval of people. I worry about what people think. I worry about what they're going to say. If I made this change, if I, if I did what I know that God, that God wants me to do, if I did what was right, people would say terrible things about me. They'd wonder why I've changed. And so it's easier to remain comfortable than to buck the trend, than to do something that people might question us about. John 12, 42 and 43, there were some who believed that Jesus was the Lord and yet they would not confess him because they loved the praise of God more than the praise of men, more than the praise of God, the Bible says. They loved men's praise. They were worried about what people thought. Materialism. The rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, go sell all that you have, give to the poor. You'll be rich toward God. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. 
And the scripture says in Mark 10 verse 22 that he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. I believe there are people who will not change. They will not do what they know is right because they're holding on to something material. It would cost me personally. I'd have to give something up that I love and and I treasure if I were to follow God and do his will. Procrastination, an enemy of change. Some more convenient day, Acts 24 verse 25. I'll get my act together one of these days. I will serve the Lord and I'll please him, but not now. I'm busy now. I've got other obligations now. Let me get through these obligations. Let me work through the things that are going on in my life and then I'll please the Lord. Then I'll turn wholeheartedly to him. That's not the way to do it. Have you ever seen the illustration of the jar with the, with, the, uh, with the large rock and then the sand around it? You fill the jar up with sand and you try to put the large rock in, it won't fit. But then you pour the sand out, you put the large rock in and then the sand fits around that large rock. Brothers and sisters and friends, that's what it's like with serving God. You put God first, you put him in that jar first, you put your relationship with him first and then all the other little things in life fit around that and are subservient to that. Don't be the kind of person who says, tomorrow is a good day to change. Next week, next year, when I retire, that's a good day to change. Don't be like that. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6 verse two. Distraction. I've got a million concerns. I've got all kinds of obligations and responsibilities to other people. Luke 10, 41, 42, Martha was distracted with much serving and Jesus said, you're distracted by many things, you're worried and anxious about many things, but one thing is necessary, turn your attention to me, do what Mary was doing. A lot of people are distracted. There are so many things pulling for our attention on a daily basis. The one thing that's most important often gets lost. Comfort itself, Amos 4, verses one through three. The Bible says that there were people who had lived in luxury and God calls them the cows of Bashan. He calls them people who have stored up luxuries and wealth for themselves and I'm comfortable. And don't rock the boat, Amos. Don't tell us that things in our lives are not pleasing to God. Don't tell us those things. Just speak to us smooth things, things that we'd like to hear. Make us feel good. Make the Bible like a cup of warm milk before going to bed. We can just lie our heads down on our pillows and go to sleep. Make it that way, Amos. Amos wouldn't do that. We need as the people of God to think seriously about what God wants to change in our lives. And because we wanna hang on to what's comfortable, by the way, congregations do this. Have you ever heard this? That's the way we've always done it. Well, that's the way we've always done it. We're comfortable with that. That's good in and of itself. But when God's word tells us that God wants us to change in God glorifying and honoring ways, nothing outside the authority of scripture, but there are some things that we as God's people ought to think about. Comfort can be an enemy of godly change. Comparison, when I look at other people, I'm doing pretty good. 
When we compare ourselves with somebody else who's living a really wicked life, I'm doing pretty good. And we're like the Pharisee that says, God, I'm thankful I'm not like other men. I'm thankful that I'm not like this tax collector over here, extortioners and adulterers. I'm I'm not doing any of those things, so I must be okay. Luke 18, verse 11 through 14, Jesus talked about the publican who would not so much as raise his eyes to God, but instead smote his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, one of those two men went down justified, but it was not the Pharisee who thought everything was okay with his life. Stubbornness. Some people are just plain stubborn. They've decided they're going to live their life a certain way. They've decided they're going to do certain things and they will not listen to God. He calls this a condition of being seared in our consciences. First Timothy four verses one and two. There are people that you know and I know who are seared in their consciences. You know how you sear your conscience by the way? By violating it over and over again. The first time you violate your conscience, I know this is wrong, but I'm gonna do it anyway. The first time you do it, it really hurts. But then the second time, it's not quite so bad. And then the third time, yeah, it's not so bad at all. And then the fourth time you do it, And what happens in a process of doing evil over and over and over again, I know this is wrong, but I'm gonna keep doing it, I'm gonna keep doing it, we become seared. And we can hold on to our sin and we can hold on to what needs to change so tightly that we'll say, I will not listen. I won't even listen to what God has spoken to me. Beware of having a stubborn and unyielding attitude. There's a process described in God's word that he wants every one of us to be involved in. If your life could be summed up as the guy sitting in the easy chair here with his remote control watching TV, if your life could be summed up as being a life of comfort, by the way, nothing wrong with easy chairs, nothing wrong with watching TV in and of itself. If spiritually we've become complacent, If spiritually and in our relationship with God, we've become very comfortable and very lax and we're not thinking about what needs to change, if that's true, think about this process. Number one, God wants your thinking to change. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, verse seven. You are what you're thinking about all day long. A man is a Christian because of the way he thinks. Because of what's going on in his mind, because of the way he thinks about God, about his neighbor, about the Bible, a man is a Christian because of the things that he thinks about. Proverbs 4.23 warns us, keep your heart, your thoughts with all diligence because out of your thoughts, out of your heart proceed the issues of life. Everything else in your life is affected by the way and the content of your thinking, everything Repentance, the word repent, which is really what this sermon is all about, the word repent means to change your mind and then change your behavior. God says, there's a time when you've been living in comfort and you've been living in luxury and you've become complacent, there's a time for you to say to yourself, self, it's time for me to get serious about doing what God wants. It's time for me to get serious about doing what I know is right. It's time for me to get serious about obeying the word of God. Change your thinking and then change your affections. What do you love? 
there are some things that all of us love that are wicked as they can be. There are things that we love in our lives that we know are wrong. And part of being a Christian and following God is to say, I will not love the world. I will not love the things of the world. First John 2, verses 15 through 17. Set your affections on things above and not on things of this world. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. Your affections should change. The things that are true and noble and just, just and pure and noteworthy, praiseworthy, those things we should think about. Philippians 3, verse 8. Change your affections. The process of change, often it involves a change of attitude. Philippians 2.5, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling and complaining. If you've ever tried to discipline or correct a young child, it's not enough, parents, sometimes, is it, for the child to just do what we've said. Oftentimes they can do what we've said with a horrible attitude. The attitude's still bad. The attitude's still as ungodly as it could be. And often that's the way it is with us. Okay, fine, I'll do what God tells me to do. But I'm not gonna like it. I'm not gonna enjoy it. I'm not gonna do it because I love the Lord and because I love people. Certainly not because I'm concerned about my soul and my relationship with the Lord. I'll do it because somebody told me I had to. Our attitude ought to change. The process of change involves action. Number four, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James 1 verse 22. It's not just about changing your mind. It's about doing what you know is right. Luke 10 37 at the conclusion of the parable of the good Samaritan. You know what Jesus says? Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go and do what I've just taught you to go and do. It's one thing to talk about the Bible. It's another thing to live what the Bible teaches. And the part of change that is difficult is changing our mind and our affections and then finally changing our actions. And when we sow a series of actions, don't make it just a flash in the pan. I'm going to change this right now, but then soon I'm back to my old habits. When I was a little kid, I lived in Denver and we would go to my grandparents' house for Christmas with all of our cousins and aunts and uncles and everybody. And, and I remember one particular Christmas in Denver, it was snowing like crazy. It started snowing when we got to my grandmother's house and my cousin, she was a teenager at the time and she had her car parked out in front of my grandmother's house and she had to leave, I think, to go to work. And the snow had come up so fast that her car was stuck. And I can remember very distinctly my uncle and my father out in the front of my grandmother's house pushing because my, my, my cousin had gotten her car. It, it had kind of gotten in a rut. And as I think about that word being in a rut, I think about people's lives being like that. The tires are spinning. There's a lot of activity going on in the engine. There are a lot of things happening, but we're not really going anywhere. We're not really pressing on. We're not really making changes to the glory of God. There are a lot of people that look like that. A lot of action, a lot of busyness. When my dad and my uncle finally got the car kind of pushed with the wheels spinning out of this particular rut and up onto the snowpack, my cousin, sweet as she was, she tried to stop the car to turn around and thank my dad and uncle. They're like, don't stop, don't stop, keep going. We're gonna have to do this again. And so she sailed on up the road slowly, kind of fishtailing as she went. 
All of us, when we get out of our rut, we're in danger of slowing down. Don't stop. Keep going. It's a lifestyle. 1 Peter 4, verse 4, the lifestyle of a Christian, it's different. And people will speak evil of you because it's different. But it's a lifestyle. It's a way of living. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, you gave up one lifestyle for a new lifestyle that is washed and cleansed and redeemed. Live that lifestyle because you've been sanctified by God. God doesn't want any of us to remain comfortable for long. God cares about you. He loves you. And he wants more than anything, a deep and abiding relationship with you. And there is peace and there is security. And there is a degree of comfort found in that relationship. But don't become complacent. God says to us this morning, there are some changes we need to make in our lives. Because if we don't make some of these changes, our souls are in jeopardy. What changes does God want you to make to the glory and the praise of his son, Jesus Christ? Maybe this morning the change you need to make is the biggest change of all, to accept that Jesus Christ died for you and to put Christ on in baptism, Galatians 3, verses 27 to 28. This is a great opportunity to do that. We believe as God's people here at Katy, we believe the Bible teaches that the way somebody becomes a Christian is through baptism. Having been baptized, buried with Christ, and raised to walk in newness of life with him. If you're ready to make that commitment this morning, if you'd like to study and know more about that, we'd love to talk to you and love to help you. Maybe you need to respond and ask for prayers. Whatever your particular need is, if you'd like to make it public, won't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing.